You're listening to Half Stack Highlights, a blogcast dedicated to showcasing the latest in indie talent, business, and creative opportunities for the dreamer in you. We bring you intimate conversations with up-and-comers, entrepreneurs, and fellow dreamers alike, and we're based right here in Chicago. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Half Stack Highlights. In this episode, I had the chance to talk with comedian, actor, and writer Jenna Friedman. We talked about politics, feminism, being a woman in the TV world, and her journey in her career. She's worked as a correspondent for National Geographic Explorer and has worked as a field producer at The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, and she's even written for The Late Show with David Letterman. She shared her process behind finding inspiration for her writing, as well as touched on her critically acclaimed stand-up special, American Cunt. And it's now available on iTunes, CISO, and Amazon. If you enjoy what you hear here and want to learn more and catch Jenna in Chicago, she's actually coming to town this week at the AV Club's 26th Annual Comedy Festival on June 2nd at the Hideout in Chicago. Her show starts at 10.30, doors open at 9.30. Keep listening for the full interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to you know talk with us over at Half Stack. Um, I feel like it might be informative to kind of introduce yourself, um, maybe give our listeners um, a bit more information about your background, what led you to pursue a career in comedy and writing and all that good stuff. My name is Jenna Friedman. I'm a comedian. Um, and I got into comedy in college uh, in Chicago. And I was an anthropology major studying comedy, which is so not funny. But then I stumbled upon the problem that I started taking improv classes and had so much fun writing, directing, and acting at the same time on stage that I was like, I have to find a way to do this permanently. And then I started doing stand-up, and I had a play that I wrote that was terribly received in, in uh, Time Out Chicago in the film section. Oh, no, not film, sorry, the theater section. They, like, totally ripped us a new asshole. And then... We took the same play to New York, and it got great reviews, and I was like, I'm moving to New York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's ironic, isn't it? It's supposed to be the Midwest is friendly, and the East Coast is, you know, not so much, even though I actually well, moved to New York for the first time, like, a few months ago. I loved it. It was amazing. I felt, awesome. like, the creative energy, and I was like, it's oh, awesome. my God, I love this place. <laughs> and I love Chicago, too. It was a really great place to grow as a, an artist and build your voice and just experiment. But I think I had someone tell me once, you know, you're never a prophet in your homeland. And I think having my first creative piece, it was a play that was satirizing, satirizing American girl dolls with refugees. It was like a dark sugar coated comedy mm-hmm. and time out Chicago, the comedy critic at the time put us, in touch with theater for some reason. Mm-hmm. And they criticized the set design and just all the things that were really ancillary to the part of the piece. And I was 23 when I like wrote and produced it and they just didn't get it. And then in New York, mm-hmm. they got that it was like a cast of 10 women doing political comedy in 2008, which at the time was pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And they just got what we were trying to do. And so that among other reasons, it just felt like it was the natural next step moving to New York. But I loved my time in Chicago, and I was really sad to leave. It was a really great city. There's a lot of good creative, you know, comedians, writers, I feel that come out of the Midwest, and, you know, they either move, move east or, or they move west, and 
But no, I, I like that that comment you make. You know, you're not a prophet in your hometown. That's it's very you know you have to you you grow and then you bring it elsewhere. So I think that's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit then about like what you're doing in Chicago? I know you're coming back. You're coming to visit um, next month. I, can you tell us a little bit about your touring schedule, that upcoming well, show? Well, it's really in... just it's in two weeks. I have. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm going to be part of the uh, the AV Club's comedy festival. I'm developing a new hour. I don't. <laughs> I'm really good at press. Full disclosure, I don't have it yet. Um, because I do political <laughs> comedy, and it changes with the weather, and it's been really hard to pin down jokes that um are sustainable with everything that's going on. Yeah. So I have about you know 15 minutes of solid new material, and then 35 or 45, I'm just gonna wing it and kind of talk about things. Um, I did, and that's part of what you have to do as you're developing your hours. Like I did my last show, it was called American Cunt, and I did it. Um, we filmed it for CISO, and it's on iTunes at the moment. But I developed that in Edinburgh at the Fringe Festival. And a lot of times when you're developing stuff, you just kind of have to throw things against the wall to see what sticks. And so yeah. some people love that process and love seeing comedians work stuff out. Some would rather just see like a fully finished show. But I encourage anybody who's interested <laughs> in just seeing <laughs> someone working things out to come to the show on June 2nd. I think it'll be fun. It seems like, you know, the material that you're focusing on is political. It's kind of hard to, you know, keep I tell, I think it's hard to keep up with the news in general, let alone having to, you know, write jokes or yeah. or write about the current, you know, situation. How does everything that's going on influence, you know, what you're talking about on stage and then what do you find people, you know, how do they react to what you say? You know, do you, do you have to deal with, like, the random jerk that's kind of, you know, going to be a douche about things? Or do you find that, for the most part, people are like, holy shit, this chick is, like, totally on point. She, we, like, did it. Like, this is crazy. And, yes, oh, my God, it's refreshing to, to hear someone say the things that, we want to say, but sometimes we can't always say because of, you know, the the differences of the people that we're around on a daily basis. So I'm not performing in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm not performing in Trump territory. Um, I I remember when I was doing American Time uh, in the UK, and this was like starting it in 2015, it was really cool to do political comedy there because Everybody kind of wanted to fly on the wall of, like, America's political process at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Europeans, especially, like, British people, a lot of them are even more clued and educated as to what was going on than Americans. Now we are. Like, we know the names of people in Trump's cabinet. Most of us do because they're, like, caricatures of people. So Mm -hmm. we uh, are following it like it's a sport or the scariest uh, TV series of all time. Um, so we are, you know, more keyed in, but you have to remember, like, the past couple decades, we've had the luxury of not having to really be in tune to politics, and most Americans yeah. really weren't before this election. Yeah. Um, and that's partly why we're in this place, where we have, like, represented, like, some of our leaders are just don't care about the people yeah. they represent, and you can nothing shows that more than what's going on with healthcare. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's interesting because I've been only really performing in kind of liberal pockets. So mm-hmm. um, it seems like everyone's on the same page. It's just now, like, how do you how do you make it funny and how do you say something different? Um, mm-hmm. When I was developing American Cunt, one of the best, 
one of my favorite things about it was like talking to Bernie supporters or somebody who was voting for Hillary but still got like you know Bernie's appeal and that territory was like speaking to two different groups of people that I would get along with as opposed to people I just completely don't understand and so I think I felt like I had more power in that realm of talking to people who were burning or busting because I knew that they were wrong and also understood where they were coming from yeah um whereas like it's you know I have no one in my life at this point except for like an estranged non-blood related uncle who (laughs) supports Trump and so I can't I, I have found as with a lot of my friends that it's just really hard even have conversations because you're not reading the same news. Um, There's like willful willful ignorance and I just don't even try at this point. Like I want to reach across the aisle to people who supported him and don't anymore, but people who still support him, I just feel like they're so unhinged that it's like just an exercise of futility to try to talk to them. Yeah, that's frustrating. But I feel like People like you, the fact that, that, you know, the media coverage that things are getting, the fact that there are people who are protesting. Like, I got to go to the protests in Chicago, and we covered it for for the magazine, and it's just amazing to find out. Like, it's kind of shitty that it took this happening to bring people together and to make people more politically aware. But at the same time, I'm like, like you said earlier, you can't be so ignorant about the reality of the world that we're living in. We're, like, living in ignorance you know, bliss for a long time. And now it's like, holy, holy moly, like, what are we going to do to change this? Look at the mess that we've made. Um, but yeah, I, I completely understand. Is there anything that's been, you know, the most influential project for you that you feel has really helped to get you to this point in your career? I mean, I'm just in this process of developing a couple of things. We had an announcement yesterday. I'm working on a show uh, for adults when I'm really excited about. And then I have a feature that we're getting off the ground slowly. So it's just about, it's been more in the development phase and then just trying to kind of figure out like how to, again, navigate the comedy world while we're literally slipping into fascism. (laughs) So that's been maybe the most influential (laughs) thing in the past six months. Um, But, you know, prior to that, it was really, it was a good exercise in like building my first hour of the year. I left uh, The Daily Show August a year ago and then went right to Edinburgh and developed that show and spent the year kind of working on that. And so now I'm just kind of excited to get back to working into TV because there is an immediacy in TV that you don't really have in film. You have it in stand-up. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get working on that adult film project. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. I was reading about that the other day. Can you share a little bit about what, you know, viewers can possibly expect from that show in Adult Swim? Mine is just kind of an ambiguous special, but it's going to be interviews and pre-tape with the kind of tone that of the other stuff that I do. Sounds like you have, like, such a variety of different experiences um, in your career. Like, you've worked for National Geographic, and I, you know, I saw, you know, it, that you were working for Vice at some point, The Daily Show, Late Show. What was it like being within those, you know, those huge names within the media world? Where, you know, what were your experiences like? And did any of that kind of impact how you've taken on opportunities to grow as an, as an individual artist as you're pursuing your own projects now? I mean, they're all great in different ways. Letterman was my first real job, and um, which is a really great place to start and have 
assignments every day and have to write and be funny under a deadline. And it was like kind of like this old school environment that I'm, I feel really lucky to have seen like at the end of, of it, like the, those kind of, they're still late night shows, but the way that that one was run was, was like a time warp in a cool way. Um, <laughs> and then the Daily Show was just such a well-oiled machine and really one of the best working experiences I've ever had in my life. We had such creative freedom and we got to really make things that I felt said things and, you know, shifted policy. I did a piece with Asif Mondi on Voter ID laws that a judge actually cited when he overturned them in uh, North Carolina recently. Yeah, I mean, it was just really, really cool. And then National Geographic and Vice, I for both of those, I was doing correspondent pieces that were more jour- journalistic than they were funny, but they were still really good experiences to just work with people. And again, I mean, I think so much of the comedy that I love does have like a journalistic bent. So to kind of, to, to be in those environments was really helpful in, in learning what to to do as I kind of put my own projects together. So where do you get your creative inspiration as you're working on new projects, as you're working on new bits? What does that whole, you know, creative process look like for you as you write and you work on your comedy and, you know, your film and TV related projects? Earlier, a lot of my comedy was really dark. So things I was afraid about and still to this day, things that scare me to to be able to make comedy around them, you have power over them. And so, like, a lot of my stand-up used to just be darker. The film is, I wrote it after a breakup. I was, like, sad and frustrated and then channeled that into my work. I have a television project I'm working on in London that's, like, a little bit more about where I am now with stuff. So I think if you have, like, questions or problems or anxiety in your own life, to be able to channel it into art is really therapeutic. Um, And then a lot with, like, the stand-up with that last special, there was so much I wanted to say about, you know, it started out, the title started out as a joke, like, because I was doing a show in the UK, and it was like, what's the worst thing they could call me? I'm just going <laughs> to call myself that. But then, it, as the election was happening, you're just kind of seeing so much going on, and so much misogyny, but so subtle that, you know, you didn't want to just call it out, because you didn't want, like, people listening to you to roll their eyes, and so it's like, how do you discuss how we're processing Hillary, and how we have been for 30 years, in a way that doesn't make people tune out and roll their eyes and how do you do it in a funny way, but also in a way that really does delve into all this kind of like subliminal misogyny and overt misogyny that we're seeing happen. Um, so I think it comes from there. It doesn't ever come from like necessarily, sometimes it does, but it doesn't usually come from like what makes me laugh. It comes from like what scares me or what frustrates me or like, um, what angers me, and then trying to package that into something that makes people laugh. So we're talking a little bit about misogyny, feminism. What do you consider feminism, and how do you incorporate those beliefs into your work? And why do you why do you think people are like so afraid of that concept? That though? word, I yeah. And by why women, why some women are? I don't know. I think that word has been vilified for a really long time. To me, feminism is just equality. Um, anti-racism, you know, economic equality. I just think it's, it's a word that encapsulates equality. I think every culture subjugates women equally. Like, we're all connected mm-hmm. in how much we subjugate women. And so feminism is, like, this reminder of just, like, you know, if we level the playing field, if we try to be equal, you know, the world will be better. I mean, like, you're seeing that now. I think 
a lot of people ask me, like, why are the Republicans, why is their agenda so anti-women? And, and I think that most of them are not, it's not that they hate women, it's that they're just mm-hmm. not thinking about women because there aren't women yeah. in the positions with them. And so yeah. I think feminism is just really important, and I'm, I'm a feminist, and I think when people who, you know, are or act feminist but then don't acknowledge that they're feminist, I think that they might be getting caught up in, you know, words and branding mm-hmm. and yeah. things that, you know, everyone has their own shit. But um, yeah. it's cool that even, like, I think I remember, like, Beyonce's performance in 2014 of the VMAs was the first time that that word was out there in a big way. And so I think we're definitely in a cooler place than we were when I started comedy where like feminism was a word that people just tuned out. Now people are at least talking about it or I do think it's passe for someone who acts feminist to say they're not a feminist. I just kind of am like, oh, that person's just like insecure in their beliefs or something. I don't know. That's maybe anti-feminist for me to say. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I feel like whenever I read or see or learn more about the comedy role, the film industry, um, and just TV in general. I've been really lucky that with this podcast, with what I do with the magazine, I've gotten to, or I've been able to interview, um, you know, women who are who are pushing the boundaries and doing great things in this in this industry. But in general, it feels and it seems to be like 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 a, a boys' club, you know, without better words. Um, how has your experience then been overall in the industry? Um, and are you doing anything to kind of push for change in in that world well yeah i mean it it is a boys club it has been it's increasingly female at least in television i mean film if you look at the number of female directors it's still abysmal and it doesn't seem like studios want to change as much as like they talk about it like we're trying to get this film financed i'm directing it um i directed like over 20 pieces of the daily show but i have not directed the feature yet and it's been it's been hard to get you know, I, I have a really exciting cast on board and, you know, we're figuring it out, but it has not on any level been easy. And that's also a reflection of the fact that film right now isn't easy for anyone. But um, I think it's changing and I think it doesn't just take, it doesn't, like change doesn't just happen. You really have to fight for it. Um, mm-hmm. On the projects I do, I try to make sure that we have, you know, women represented behind the scenes as much as, you know, on camera, and I I just, I try to hire women as much as I can, and I think there are studies that show that when you even have, like, a, a female at the helm of something, like, directing, you have a crew that's more diverse yeah. uh, gender-wise, but also, you know, racially or ethnically, like, you, like, I think diversity helps projects, and, you know, so I'm a big advocate of that. Um, so I think that's how you change by just being cognizant of it and mentoring yeah. people and uh, pushing for just more people, women and minorities, to be in positions of power. I think that's how it happens. It's awesome. And I think it's also, I mean, it brings so many different perspectives and I think it gives your work that much, you know, it makes it so much more multidimensional and and deeper and stronger because of that. So that's all. Awesome. Totally. I mean, it's hard to, because sometimes, like, when it was American Cunt, like, it was cool when I could sing American Cunt. <laughs> it was cool to do that project. <laughs> so fun to say. Um, but, I, I mean, it started as, like, a solo show in the U.K., and the benefit of solo shows is, like, you don't always have to go for the laugh. You can actually take a breath and say something. But then also when you are kind of, like, 
in like the social justice sphere, it is hard to like just be funny. And part of why like I'm really excited about the film is that the film is it's political in a sense that, you know, I'm directing it and it's like a, a story from a female perspective, blah, blah, blah. But like it's just it's it's just fun. And I and I think that there's like that balance that you have to kind of you can't just be so like heavy and political. You also like it's also nice to have fun and I think having fun and showing that you're having fun, I think people find a lot of joy from that too. And that's also like why I'm thrilled about the adult swim show because I love some of the stuff I do and I binge watched Eric Andre's show as I was like <laughs> kind of like preparing for this one. And I think it's really one of the most groundbreaking things on TV and how playful and funny and weird he is and what they let him get away with is just like so thrilling as I'm like kind of putting together my show. Are there any people or mentors or, you know, figures in your life that have made an impact and, you know, either your personal side of, of your life or your career? Sure. Yeah, a lot. I mean, I, my parents have that. It's weird. They're, like, more supportive of me than they've ever been, and it's almost, like, jarring. Because I started out as actually a consultant in Chicago at a company called Blue Balance that's, I think, still going strong or at least kicking. I don't know. But I was... <laughs> My mom always just kind of wanted me to work in, like, a safer career. Yeah. But now they're really supportive, and and it's cool. And, um, yeah, I have a lot of, like, mentors along the way of people in comedy who have helped me, um, the Daily Show guys, just a ton of people. And I think that's what it takes. And when you have those experiences, you want to pay it forward and help people, too. So I feel like... You know, in in the comedy world, technology and in writing and film and TV, everything really it's been radically impacted by technology and social media. Um, do you think that technology has changed that the the industry that you're in? Are you a fan of YouTube? Do you think it's a platform that has helped or hindered individuals like you who are who are working in this industry? It's absolutely helped. I mean, you know, we're all one tweet away from getting fired. But at the same time, <laughs> it has, for someone like me coming up and making videos on my own and being able to put them on YouTube and you just basically have a portfolio that you can send to somebody in like a link, that was hugely impactful in leveling the playing field. And part of the reason why I got the Letterman job is I had just tweets and things online that they could reference. And part of the reason I got the Daily Show job was that I had like, seven episodes of a web series that I wrote, directed, and produced that they could just see that I made those things on my own. So anyone who's just starting out or coming up, um, that's the biggest advice to just, like, do it, to just make things and make them funny and put them online. And uh, and that, so I, I do think that, you know, 2007 really onwards was really, it has been a lot easier. To, yeah. to be somebody on the outside getting into the fold. When you think about, you know, getting into, you know, these positions, these roles that you have been able to work in, um, people have this kind of skewed view of what it's really like to work in TV um, or in film or, you know, on the comedy side of the world. Um, like, for example, it looks like you've had some really big breaks now, right? And that seems like that whole idea of the overnight success kind of gets thrown around. Um, but the reality is, like, can you tell us what the reality is behind that? Like, how long were you actually working towards what you've been, you know, I mean, I'm still working doing now. towards it. 
I'm still working towards it. I think that it's different than it ever has been. The amount of money you get for projects is a lot less now because there are just mm-hmm. more channels and things going on. And yeah. um, I think some people break earlier and, and some people, like I've been doing this for a decade. And I, you know, the adult swim thing, I'm thrilled about it, but, you know, it's just a one-off special. It, it could evolve into something else that may not. You know, you're always writing and creating and that is exciting and challenging and thrilling and kind of make, keeps it interesting for me. But I don't think, you know, you ever really make it because what what it is just keeps changing, too, as you evolve and you lose sight of, you know, where you are or where you think you want it to be and all the kind of things. But I think that if you're able to, like, hold your head above water and and create things that, that, that excite you, then, you know, you're winning. I hate to use the Trump yeah. Trumpism of winning, but um, you know it is different than it ever has been. Yeah, it's always changing. But for young comedians or aspiring comedians, I think just kind of like you know taking classes at places, being experimental, getting stage time, just putting yourself out there, um, making friends with people you like and admire and think are funny collaborating with them, helping other people, putting stuff online. Those are like the first, maybe having like a live show that you and your friends can perform at so you just have practice just getting on stage and playing. I think those are like the first steps to to um, carving out a career in comedy and then just making it, making it about the work and trying to just become better. And I know that sounds so vague, but those are what I tell people starting out. Yeah. Finally, the last question. Where can people who are interested in your work, interested in you, learn more about you? Um, any up you know, any of your upcoming projects and things like that? I post most stuff on Twitter. Twitter is like a joke book that talks back to me. Lately I've been kind of angry, but I think it's we all are. And so that's the most immediate place where you can see what's going on. If it, if I if uh, like something happens politically and you're tired, you can always mute me for like a couple of days. But because <laughs> sometimes I get <laughs> upset. But I mean, any article I write or comedic piece that I write or like if I have a show that I'm touring, I'll put it on Twitter. J E N A Friedman spelled Friedman uh, at Twitter. What is this? <laughs> yeah, so twitter.com slash Jenna. Or yeah, Freeman, that's right? what it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm like at Twitter.China. Cool. Well, nice to talk to you. And yeah, I'll be at the hideout. Come say hi. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more about Jenna, visit her website at www.jennafriedman.com. And that's www.jenafriedman.com. She's most active on Twitter, and you can find her at the handle Jenna Friedman. While you're online, make sure you visit halfstackmag.com, and you can keep up with us on all social outlets at halfstackmag. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support.